Have you guys uh, got plenty of food over the last few days? Had your fill of eating, right? How many of you got leftovers still? Okay, yeah. I tell you what, I got my fill. Serious. Now I got to do something about it, right? <laughs> hey, before we get started, let's pray. God, we love you, and uh, we thank you for your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you tune all of our hearts and our minds into what you'd say today. Help me be faithful, preach your word with courage, with boldness, unashamedly. And uh, give us ears to hear, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our message series today entitled, The Church I Want to Attend. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Acts chapter 7. This is what we're going to be talking about today, Acts chapter 7. And this is an incredibly rich text that's about the life of Stephen. And I believe that this text will change your life. Now Stephen, he was the first Christian martyr. He was the first one to lose his life for Jesus. And if you look back at a number of the apostles, disciples who were killed, there's not much detail in the Bible about how they were killed. They're more of a footnote. right? Until you get to Stephen, there's a whole account on what happened to Stephen. And we're going to dive into that today, and I hope to unpack this for you. So, when I was studying this text, it became obvious that there were three distinct lessons that we can learn from the life of Stephen. So, before we dive in, I'm going to provide a little bit of background to help set the stage for what's going on in our text today. So, in chapter 6, you have the 12 disciples of Jesus, and they were getting caught up in these financial disputes that they were having to settle. And that was a distraction to them because they really were focused on preaching the Word of God and prayer. So to have to settle these disputes was taking away from that. So what they did is is they appointed seven men. In other words, they delegated this to seven men to take care of this for them. One of the seven happened to be Stephen. And the Bible refers to Stephen as a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, and full of power. Now, this description alone of Stephen really made me want to know this guy. I mean, he was full of faith, full of grace, full of power, and full of the Holy Spirit. How many of you would love to be filled like that? Right? I mean, sign me up for that. That was Stephen. The Word says that Stephen performed great signs and wonders before the people and that no one could stand up to the wisdom of his Word or his speech. But just like what happened to Jesus, happened to Stephen. The religious elite got jealous. They got jealous of him because of his speech and all of that. And so they brought two false witnesses against Stephen that said that he was blaspheming God. Blasphemy was, a, was an offense punishable by death. So they bring him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the religious elite of the day. These were the self-righteous people that knew everything about the Word. They had studied it. They knew it backwards and forwards. They were very legalistic. And so the Sanhedrin were the high council kind of like the Supreme Court of the day. That's who the Sanhedrin were. And uh, the high priest of that Sanhedrin said to Stephen in the first verse of chapter 7, said, what do you say these charges brought against you? And it's interesting because the high priest, some commentaries indicate that the high priest that spoke to Stephen was the exact same high priest that spoke to Jesus when Jesus was brought to this same council. And so when I was looking at this, Stephen takes the next 48 verses to give his response. 
to that question. And I would think that if I'm about to face death, I'm probably going to want to try to defend myself, right? Wouldn't you? That's not what Stephen does. He doesn't try to defend himself. Instead, he launches into this huge discussion about the children of Israel. And he goes through the whole history. He starts with Abraham. Then he moves all the way through and talks about King David. And then King David's son Solomon and Solomon building the temple. And so you've got all this history going on. And it's like the Sanhedrin must have been going, what in the world? We just asked him, what what does he say about these charges brought against him? And here he is talking to us about our history. Because this was Sanhedrin's history. They were Jews. They were the religious elite. The children of Israel were their ancestors. And so the whole theme here that Stephen's talking about is about the constant disobedience and rejection of God that the children of Israel had. And so, in effect, what Stephen is doing is he's saying, hey, you Sanhedrin, you're just like your ancestors. Which leads us right into our text for today, and it's in verse 51. So turn to verse 51. That's where we're going to pick up today. And uh, interestingly enough, you know what it's like when you're laying in bed and it's nice and peaceful and quiet? You're sleeping so soundly. And all of a sudden, imagine somebody coming in with a giant spotlight and shining it right in your face. How would that feel? It's pretty shocking, isn't it? To have somebody do that to you. That's really what Stephen does here with his words. He makes this transition from talking about history and explanation, and he goes right into practical application. So this is where we're going to pick up. Verse 51. It says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. I mean, wow. Here he is pointing out the sins of the Sanhedrin, the high council, the elite, the self-righteous. And uh, this was, this, as you can imagine, didn't go over very well for them. They were pretty upset. This was shocking to them. But in effect here, remember, Stephen was being accused of blasphemy. As I said, blasphemy was punishable by death. So in effect, what Stephen's doing is, is he's speaking his own death sentence. But Stephen, he uses the exact same language in this text that God Himself used when referring to the children of Israel. If you look in the books of Deuteronomy and in Exodus, God said that the children of Israel were a stiff-necked people. Those exact words. Now, stiff-necked, that means that you're stubborn, you're obstinate, and you want to go your own way. Well, Stephen is saying, hey, Sanhedrin, you're just like your ancestors. You're stubborn. And then he says that they are uncircumcised in heart and ears. Uncircumcised in heart, this meant that you were your heart was closed off to God having any effect on you. You were closed off. Uncircumcised in ears, this meant that you could hear the Word of God, but you'd hear it imperfectly. You'd only hear what you wanted to hear. It was like a selective listening. That's what he's saying about the Sanhedrin. And interestingly enough also, is that uh, the Old Testament pointed toward a Messiah. Right? You all agree with me on that. Everything in the Old Testament always points towards the Messiah. So the Sanhedrin are supposed to know the Word very, very well because they were the religious elite. Well, they missed the Messiah because they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. 
They rejected him. And Stephen is pointing this out here and saying, you're just like your fathers. You killed the Messiah. And then the very last indictment that Stephen makes is in verse 53. He says, you've received the law from the direction of angels, but you've not kept it. To suggest that the religious elite are disobeying the very law that they're supposedly to know, this is worse than a slap in the face. I mean, Stephen's really calling them out here. And they were not happy about it. Jesus called these same people whitewashed tombs. They were clean on the outside, but they had dead man's bones on the inside. In other words, they were dead on the inside. So they were like walking dead. These spiritual elite did not have the Holy Spirit. They didn't know Jesus. They'd missed that. They had plenty of rules that they prided themselves in following, but they had no real relationship with the Messiah. When we accept Jesus and enter into a relationship with Him, He cuts away that which makes us heart of heart. And He opens our ears. In other words, there is a spiritual circumcision that takes place when we accept Jesus into our heart. And this is what the Sanhedrin were missing. This is what Stephen was pointing out. They had this great pride in being physically circumcised. As a Jew, that was something that made them feel elite and superior to Gentiles, is to be physically circumcised. Now, I don't need to explain what physical circumcision is, do I? Everybody, you guys know what that is? Okay, we won't go there. Uh, But these religious experts, they were very legalistic in following rules. And Stephen says, you've deliberately disobeyed them. So that was a big, big indictment on that. And, And as you can imagine, they get pretty upset. Now, it was true, but it was way over the top. But let me ask you, what did Stephen just do here with his words? What did he just do? It's exactly what you and I need to do today. We need to speak up. We need to speak up. This is the first lesson that we can learn from the life of Stephen, is that we need to speak up. We need to shine the light of truth by speaking up. And Stephen, he did this without fear and without compromise. You and I need to do it without fear and without compromise. Now, I'm not saying that we need to call out everyone and everything that we see that we have a problem with. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me on this. What I am saying is that we need to have the courage and the boldness, just like Stephen, to speak up when the Lord prompts us or when we see an injustice take place. We need to speak up. Let me give you a couple of examples from Scripture to help illustrate what happens when we speak up versus when we don't. So you may remember in Genesis, I hope everybody remembers, what God said to Adam. He said, you can eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except for one, right? Adam had full access to God. God had given him pretty much everything. He had dominion over all the animals of the world. He had all the food that he can eat. But there was just one thing that God said you cannot have. And that's to eat from the one tree. And then along comes Eve. You guys know the story. Eve gets tempted by the serpent. And you know, the serpent makes the case that it's okay to do this. You'll be like God. Your eyes will be open and all that. And so Eve reaches out. She sees how good that fruit is. She takes it, takes a bite of it. And she turns and gives it to Adam. 
and he takes a bite. Here's the deal. Adam was standing there the entire time that she was tempted, the entire time that she's looking at that fruit and she reaches out. He was right there. And what did he do? He did not speak up. He was quiet. He didn't say a word. He was standing there the whole time. So many people want to put the blame of our sinful world on the shoulders of Eve. But let me tell you, in my mind, it was Adam who messed up. Because he should have spoke up. He should have said something. He knew better. God specifically told him what he was to do and not do. How many times are we in situations in which uh, we should speak up? And whether it's out of fear, laziness, indifference, or just plain selfishness, we say nothing. Think about it. Isn't silence the same thing as consent? Doesn't silence imply consent? What about those of us who are Christians? Are we sharing the love of Jesus with others? Are we sharing the good news of who He is with others? Or are we quiet? We have the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And yet many of us stay quiet. Now, it doesn't take a biblical scholar or a pastor for you to have to be a pastor or whatever to talk about Jesus. You can show the love of Jesus in so many ways. You don't have to have this great, huge gospel story that you need to go and share. It could be as simple as giving somebody a smile, asking how their day is, being kind to them, showing kindness to them. And maybe it's your story that leads into a bigger discussion. You never know. But don't think you have to have this great big presentation before you say anything. That's the one thing I want to leave with you today is don't think that. Speak up. What if our message is the key to unlock someone else from a, part, a life apart from God? Sometimes I wonder if we just go through our lives in our own Christian bubble and we don't even think about getting involved in the lives of others. What if our message is the difference between someone going to hell and someone going to heaven? It's life or death. It really is that serious. And yet many of us just go about our way and we say nothing. We need to speak up. So let's look at another example. In the book of 2 Samuel, uh, David, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Most of you know this story. And then after the adultery, then he has Bathsheba's husband murdered. So he commits adultery, then he commits murder. And then he marries her, takes her as another wife. He's already got a few wives already. And as you can imagine, David, or excuse me, God was very unhappy with David over this. So God sends the prophet Nathan to talk some sense into him. Now David was the king. The Bible refers to him as a man of war. So it must have been pretty intimidating for Nathan to have to go speak to David and call him out on his sin. It couldn't have been easy for him. But you know what? Nathan spoke up. And this is what leads to David repenting of his sin. The Bible says that David was a man after God's heart. The Bible also says that. But he failed. Just like you and I. We all fail at some time or another. But just like David, he needed someone to step up, hold him accountable, and speak up with truth. What would have happened if Nathan would have stayed quiet? His confrontation with David is what led to David recognizing his sin and his need for the Lord and repenting from it. If you read the story, you'll see that Nathan didn't just walk up to David and bash him over the head with his sin. Because if we do that to people, what do you think is the result? If we walk up to somebody and bash him over the head with their sin, we're going to get rebellion. 
That's what we're going to get. That's what probably Nathan would have gotten. But if you read the story, you'll find out that's not how he presented it to David. We've got to show love when we speak to people. We have to remember that when we speak up, that the power is in God's Word. It's not in us. The Holy Spirit is who changes people, not us. We are not the Holy Spirit. And how many times I think we act like we are. Why is it that we often demonize those people that we disagree with? I mean, man, you don't have to look too far. We just went through this whole political thing, right? You see what happens on both sides? Or how we just demonize one another? It's frustrating to see people speak to one another like that. We become judgmental. Think about the controversial issues of our day and how people spew all kinds of mean and nasty things at one another because they disagree. Whether it's abortion or whether it's homosexuality, whether it's women's rights or guns, insert whatever issue you want to and you can see how people just... It's, it, we tear down instead of build up. We often hear so much about what the church is against. How about we start hearing about what the church is for? Some of you may have heard about Lauren Daigle going on the Ellen DeGeneres show here recently. Lauren Daigle is a very popular Christian music singer, for those of you that don't know. Ellen DeGeneres is an openly lesbian gay, uh, talk, TV talk show host. And so Ellen reached out to Lauren, asked her to come on her show, even picked out the song. Lauren, I want you to sing Still, Still Rolling Stones. And so Lauren, she went on the show, sung the song. And you can imagine, she got a number of pushback from the Christian community about that because she went on that show. And I want you to hear Lauren's response. This is what she said. I can't choose who I'm supposed to be kind to and who I'm not. Because that's the mission, right? Be who Christ was to everyone as well. So Lauren, she spoke up. She didn't say that she condoned Ellen's sin. She didn't say, oh, I can't go on your show because of your lifestyle. She simply took the opportunity to speak the truth through her music to not only Ellen, but to all the millions of people that would watch and listen to it. And here's the point. We can't pick and choose either. That's not what Jesus did. Look at Matthew 8. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. And He healed all the sick. Right? All of them. He didn't pick and choose. You see it again in Matthew 12. He healed all the sick among them. Matthew 15. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all, the word says. He didn't look at that person and say, ah, man, your sin is too bad. I can't heal you. Did he? He didn't do that. It says he healed them all. Luke 4. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them says. Jesus didn't pick and choose. Luke 6.19 And the whole multitude sought to touch Him. For power went out from Him and He healed them all. You guys seeing a pattern here? He heals all. He shows compassion to all. One of my favorites, probably the most famously quoted Bible verse there is. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Whosoever. That's you. That's me. That's anyone. Anyone has the opportunity to come to Jesus. That's what this text is saying here. Whosoever. Last one, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. But He wants everyone to repent. In other words, He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to come to heaven. Right? Anyone, everyone, all. Jesus doesn't discriminate. He doesn't pick and choose. We shouldn't pick and choose either. If you look back at every time that Jesus confronts someone about sin, never once does He condemn. He always shows compassion. Look at Luke 5. Remember this. This is Jesus' words. He says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. How many of us put on our self-righteous hat and we walk around and we look at people and we make judgments about people whether we'll speak to them or whether we won't simply because of the way they look, because of the lifestyle that we're living, because of the race that they are, whatever that it is, we become self-righteous. Can I tell you something? The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Jesus didn't come for those who think they're self-righteous. He came to save those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. And so with that in mind, you might remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees and the religious teachers of the day bring this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus. And they say, hey Jesus, the law of Moses says that we should stone and kill this woman because of what she's done. What do you say? So they're trying to trap Jesus here. You remember what, how Jesus responded? He said, you that are without sin, you cast the first stone. They were all standing there. They all had stones in their hand. And they were ready to throw those stones at that woman. Right? And when Jesus responded like that, guess what happened? From the oldest to the youngest, they all left. They dropped the stones and they all walked away. And what does Jesus do? He turns to that woman. He said, where are your accusers? Does not even one of them going to condemn you? And she says, no, not one. And you know what he said? Well, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Did Jesus bash her over the head for her sin? Did Jesus say how terrible it was that what she did and how, what a terrible person and what a dumb mistake she made? He didn't say that, did He? Go and sin no more is what He said. That's what He said. Sometimes I wonder if we act just like those Pharisees and we've got those stones in our hand and we're ready to throw them at somebody. Where's the compassion? Where's the love? We will gossip about people. We'll easily dismiss people. And we'll not even give them a second thought. Listen, why would someone on the outside of Christianity, right, that doesn't know Jesus, why would they want to come on the inside to those of us who say we know Jesus when we act the way that we do? What kind of witness are we when we act that way? The Bible says we are to encourage and build each other up. So we should speak to lift up, not to tear down. So let me ask you, are we rolling stones away from people's graves or are we throwing stones on them? Did you hear what I just said? Are we rolling stones away from people's graves or are we throwing stones on them? Our words matter. 
We're either doing one or the other. There's no middle ground here. We're either helping to roll the stones away from people's graves by loving them to Jesus, or we're throwing stones on top of their graves. Do you understand the impact here that you and I have? We need to speak up. We need to speak in love. We are not the Holy Spirit. But we can live for Jesus. We can love like Jesus. And we can lead others to Jesus. Silence is consent. We need to speak up. And when we do speak up, we also need to know that others may not receive what we say very well. This is what happened to Stephen. We look back at our text in verse 54. Remember, he's calling out the Sanhedrin for their sins. And here's, here's what happened. Verse 54, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They gnashed at him with their teeth. When the religious elite had heard these sins that Stephen was calling out, they went absolutely furious. I mean like ridiculously furious. They lost it. They were in uncontrollable rage. They were gnashing at him with their teeth. You know the significance of gnashing at someone with their teeth? Here's what it means. It means they were snarling, they were growling, they were clenching their teeth, they were grinding them, and then they were actually biting at Stephen with their teeth. Right? Now, the reason that this is significant is because the only other time the Bible talks about gnashing of teeth is when that's referring to what's going to happen to people who are cast out into the outer darkness who are going to hell it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The only other place you'll see it. So, this is where the religious elite were headed unless they would repent and turn from their wicked ways. So now Stephen, he's got this angry mob on his hands. They're biting at him. They're jeering at him. Look at what he does next. This is the second lesson that we can learn from him. In verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he looked up. That's the lesson for us. We need to look up. We often look everywhere but up when we're trying to solve our problems. We'll look at our circumstances and we'll stress out trying to figure out how to solve them. I can't count how many times that I've gotten myself into a very difficult or frustrating situation, whether it was from my own stupidity or whether it was my own stubbornness. But either way, I often find myself fixated on solving the problem. So I'll exhaust every single path that I can find to solve my problem, but I'll often forget to just simply look up. You know, that actually happened to me on Wednesday of this past week. I was out hunting, and I was blessed to get my buck down, got him loaded up in the four-wheeler, and then I did something really, really stupid. I tried to drive out in the dark on my four-wheeler, fully loaded, up the side of a mountain. It's only by God's grace that I'm standing here preaching today because there's no way I should have survived that. Because that four-wheeler, I can't tell you how many times it flipped. I don't know all the details because I probably blacked out. It's kind of fuzzy to me. Um, But I'm here. And I remember finally getting that four-wheeler turn back over. It's pitch black. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I can't get the thing started. I tried and tried and tried to get it started. So I'm a prideful guy. I've killed my deer. There's no way I'm going to walk out and leave my deer here. 
right? I really want to get out. Finally, I looked up and I said, Father, I really need to get home. Could you please help me? And then I turned the ignition and guess what happened? It started. Now, it wasn't pretty. I drove out with a flat tire, bent up handlebars, and my deer kept falling out of the tailgate because it was all bent up. But I made it home. I got home several hours later, but I had to look up and ask for help. You know, why can't we just look up? Why can't we look to Him first? This is the first thing that Stephen does when the crowd that he's speaking to goes absolutely berserk. He looks up. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. This is the key to the Christian life. You can see this in Hebrews. It says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So oftentimes, you'll find the Bible referring to the life we live as a Christian as a race. Now, it's not a sprint. It's an endurance race, right? And the key to winning that endurance race is keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's the key. Something else in this text that stood out to me toward the bottom, it says, now He is seated, referring to Jesus, in the place of honor beside God's throne. Everywhere that you read about Jesus being at the right hand of God, you're always going to find that Jesus is what? He's sitting down. Okay? He's sitting down. But if you look back at our text, you'll see something different. Verse 55. What does Stephen say? He says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, that stood out to me. Why is God sitting, or excuse me, why is Jesus sitting all the other times and now all of a sudden He's standing for Stephen? This was significant to me. So I thought, well, let me study this. And there's a few different commentaries. I'll share them with you. Uh, the first one said that perhaps Jesus was standing to give Stephen a standing ovation because Stephen was making a stand for him. So perhaps Jesus was like, yeah, Stephen, love what you're doing. You're speaking up for me. So Jesus was encouraging. That was one commentary. A second commentary had said that perhaps Jesus was standing to welcome Stephen into the kingdom because Stephen was about to lose his life. And Jesus was like, you're coming to heaven, man. I'm going to welcome you in. That's why he was standing. That was another commentary. The third commentary that I read said that perhaps Jesus was standing to confess Stephen before his father, which supports what Matthew 10.32 says. Matthew 10.32 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. So if you picture a courtroom and you've got a uh, defense attorney, they're standing and they're presenting the case to the judge, right? On behalf of who it is that's on trial. Perhaps Jesus was confessing Stephen before his Father because Stephen had just confessed him before the Sanhedrin. I don't know which commentary was right. doesn't really matter. Maybe they're all right. The point that I brought this up to, to mean is that Jesus cares. He wasn't just casually sitting around watching His servant being persecuted. He was standing as someone who cares. This is significant. God cares about each and every one of you. He cares about me. He cares about everyone. He cares about all of us. He knows every hair on our head. 
And the Sanhedrin, they knew the significance of Jesus being at the right hand of God because that meant that Jesus was the Messiah. And that was something they had rejected. And so when they heard Stephen say that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God, man, they, they were already going crazy, but they really went crazy when they heard this. So watch what happens next. You see this in uh, verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at Him with one accord. This reminded me of what a child will sometimes do. They'll put their, ears over their, or put their hands over their ears and they're like, la, 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 la. I'm not listening to you. Right? That's what these well-respected, self-righteous, legalistic, high council Sanhedrin were doing. They stopped up their ears. Can you, can you believe that? Loud voice. Now they're running at him. They're acting like crazy. Just going nuts. And then it says, and then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So they threw stones at him. Now we don't know exactly how this happened, right? But Jewish tradition was, was something like this. They would take the accused outside the city and then they would get him up against a pit that was about twice the height. In terms, it, was, it was as deep as about twice the height of the person being accused. Then they'd have a couple of accusers come from behind and they would push the person off the, off the cliff. And they would fall down on top of the rocks face first. Okay? And if that didn't kill them, then the next thing they would do is they'd roll the person over on their back. Then they'd take a giant boulder like this and they'd come up and they'd slam it down on their chest. They'd come down and try to crush their chest. And if that didn't kill them, then everyone that's standing around would pick up stones. And then they'd just start chucking stones at the person. Right? Until they would die. Pretty brutal. Don't you think? So here's Stephen. In the midst of all this going on, you can see this in verse 60. What does he do? Somehow, he musters the strength to get up off that rock and get down on his knees. Right? Now he's on his knees. They're still throwing stones at him. And he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Can you imagine? You're in the middle of somebody taking your life and you're looking up as you're getting pummeled with rocks and you're saying, Lord, forgive them. That's what Stephen was doing right here. He was saying, Lord, forgive them. You know, this is exactly the same thing sort of that Jesus said when He was on the cross. As he laid there, or as he hung there on the cross, what did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? This is the third lesson that we can learn from the life of Stephen. We need to give up. We need to give up. We can't hold on to stuff. We've got to give up. Why is it that we often hold on to grudges against people who wrong us? We say things like, there's no way that I can forgive him or her after what they've done. And whether we say that verbally or not doesn't really matter because our actions and our attitude say that exactly that. And here's Stephen. As they're throwing stones, and he's about to die, his last words are for the Lord to forgive them. Do not charge them with this sin. I mean, let that sink in a minute. And then Jesus, as I said, He's doing the same thing as He hung on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Look at this in 1 Peter. 
It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. And you must follow in His steps. He never sinned, never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when He was insulted, nor threaten revenge when He suffered. He left His case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. So Stephen is the most like Jesus right now in this very moment. Jesus was our example. Stephen's following in the footsteps of Jesus, just like the Scripture says. And he's saying, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Forgiveness isn't something that we should have to earn. The Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to put all these parameters in place for someone to be forgiven, right? There's not all these conditions that need to be met. Sometimes we act like there are. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Colossians 3. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In other words, forgiveness is not optional. Okay, You're commanded to do that. Ephesians 4. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Slander is another word for gossip. Get rid of that stuff. As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And Matthew 6. This is a powerful one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, how about when someone lies to you over and over again? How does that make you feel? Doesn't make you feel very good, does it? How about when someone hurts you over and over again? It's hard to forgive that person when they keep sinning against you, isn't it? What about in the middle of it? In the middle of the moment in which someone is doing something very harmful to you. Think back to Stephen. He's in the middle of the moment when stones are being thrown at him and he's saying, do not charge them with this sin. Forgive them. Is what he's saying. So we might ask ourselves, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody if they keep messing up and keep sinning against me? You know, Peter, Peter, the Apostle Peter struggled with this very same question. He asked this in, in Matthew 18. He asked Jesus, Lord, how often should someone, uh, should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now here's the deal. Jewish tradition was three times and that's it. That's all they get. That was Jewish tradition. Peter, He's proud Peter, you know. He's being strong. He's probably like, yeah, seven times. I'm going to double it and I'm going to add one just for good measure, right? That's how Peter was thinking. So Jesus, seven times? What do you think? How does Jesus respond? No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now you mathematicians, that's not 490 times and then you write somebody off. That's not what Jesus is saying. What He is saying is we forgive as many times as it takes. That's how we forgive. It's unlimited. Hard, hard to do, but that's what we're commanded to do. No one said that forgiving was easy, but it is necessary. We have to give up. We can't hold grudges. We can't hold on to pain. We can't hold on to hurts from those who've wronged us. We have to let go. We have to give up. And when we do, we'll experience His peace. 
This is exactly what Stephen did. You see this in verse 60. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. All kinds of things we could have said here in this text about him dying, right? But we ch- the chose fell asleep. When I think of somebody falling asleep, I'm thinking, man, that's peaceful. You ever looked at a baby when they're sleeping and how peaceful and how cute they are? It's just all peaceful. Well, here's Stephen experiencing the ultimate peace as he fell asleep. He let go. So the life of Stephen, it teaches us three important lessons that we must do. We need to speak up, we need to look up, and we need to give up. You might be wondering, how in the world can I do that? How can I be like Stephen? Well, you can't. You can't do it on your own. You can't do any of this on your own. You remember what I said in the beginning of this message about Stephen? He was a man full of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is the key to being able to speak up, look up, and give up. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? You might be wondering. Romans 12.2 tells us that uh, we're not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What's the renewing of our mind? Well, the more of this that you can get in here, the more filled with the Spirit that you're going to be. That's how you're going to be able to speak up, look up, and give up. And being around people who are filled with the Spirit, being around people who speak up, look up, and give up, now that's a church I want to attend. How about you? Right? We have no idea how the Holy Spirit may use us in the lives of others. It could be the difference that leads to someone having a changed life. I'm sure the life of Stephen had a major impact on the life of Paul. You all remember the Apostle Paul. Right? You may remember from our text in verse 58, it says, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So they took off their long robes that made them look all high and mighty, and they laid them at the feet of Saul. Saul, that was his name before he became the Apostle Paul. So here's Saul. He saw all this go on. He saw Stephen speak the word powerfully, boldly, right? He was a witness to it. Now, he was persecuting Christians at the time, but he saw this happen. And then, uh, I bet you Stephen had no idea that Saul would later become Paul. The greatest apostle who ever lived. The man who wrote the majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God took a man who had been persecuting Christians, captured his heart, and then Paul turned the whole world upside down through his ministry. Could it be, could it be that Stephen helped to roll the stone away from Saul's grave by what he did here? Could it be? We never know how God could use us to minister to someone else. Now, we're not the Savior, okay? You and I are not the Savior. There's only one Savior, Jesus. But we are called to be His hands and feet. We're not in charge of another person's salvation, but we are called to shed the light of truth in people's lives. We need to be ready, just like Stephen. Now, as we play this next song, I want you to think about what it means to you. This is the song that Lauren Daigle sang on the Ellen DeGeneres show called Still Rolling Stones. Millions saw it. Millions have heard it. Everyone in the audience got a free CD from Ellen herself. So here's the song.
the shadows, bound for the gallows, a dead man walking, to love came calling, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, six feet under. So as we go through our lives, we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we rolling stones or are we throwing stones? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this message will be life-changing for everyone in this room. You've given us a command to get out there, to preach Your Word, to show love to other people, or to love our, our neighbor. All of that, Lord. Help us to live that out. There may be somebody here today who maybe this doesn't resonate with. Maybe uh, they don't know you, but they're ready to come to know you. Can I just encourage you, if that's you today, that the Lord is waiting on you. All you've got to do is reach out. Confess Him. He'll come into your life. And your life will be changed forever. 
Father, I pray that uh, You'd bless us, that You'd empower us, that You would give us the courage to speak up, that You would give us the wisdom to look up, and You'd give us the boldness to give up, Lord. We love You and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.